This is Radio Boston. I'm Tiziana Deering. A special hour-long conversation today as we mark Martin Luther King Jr. Day nearly 56 years now after his assassination. Now, each year we use a different lens. Dr. King is a pastor, the meaning of speaking truth to power. This year, we want to plant our discussion firmly in 2024. We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. That, of course, Dr. King speaking during the March on Washington in 1963 and in a year of fierce urgency, when now seems to so many to matter as much as or maybe more than at any other time in their lives, what would Dr. King tell us? What are the lessons best brought forward? Our guests for today's show, Rebecca Jackson, founder and CEO of Love Seed Coaching and Consulting and part-time faculty at the Boston College School of Social Work, Michael Curry, president and CEO of the Massachusetts League of Community Health Centers, and Reverend Willie Bodrick II, who's the senior pastor at 12th Baptist Church where Martin Luther King Jr. preached when he lived in Boston. Michael, welcome back. Hey, glad to be here. Reverend Bodrick, welcome back to you. Good to be here as well. And Rebecca, welcome for your first time. Happy to be here. So I kind of, here's how I'd like this to go. Um, I want to start with kind of what's on your mind as we enter into this 2024 year um, and as we're marking Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And then we'll talk about his teachings. And then let's finish our conversation today with an eye towards what needs to happen this year. What are you concerned will happen this year? The imperatives. So we'll begin. and, And Reverend Bodrick, I'll start with you. As we observe this year, the day, what is on your mind most? Uh, what's on my mind most is always about King's call for the beloved community. Um, mm-hmm. As we walk into 2024 uh, and we acknowledge that we are in a difficult time in this country, um, we are witnessing what I believe is the unraveling of our democracy mm-hmm. uh, and uh it is not lost on me that we are 60 years past the uh, the passing of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, um, which uh, we'll be acknowledging uh, at some jump, some point this year. And yet we're in the fight for our lives in many ways for the soul of this nation, uh, as, has been, as has been articulated by so many, uh, acknowledging that the rights of so many are being infringed upon, um, recognizing the erosion of uh, our history, the erosion of truth, uh, and uh, and and in many ways, um, losing uh, a sense of a value of of the other, um, mm-hmm. caring for one another, um, a value for truth, um, and so I think uh, uh, being reminded of King's call towards what a beloved community looks like, uh, what it means to pull us towards. Uh, sacrificing for one another, but acknowledging uh, the common humanity that we must all acknowledge that I think at some juncture in our public discourse, we have lost that. Um, and we're seeing we're seeing our democracy, our systems all being tested and tried, and I believe stretched to the brink. Uh, and hopefully uh, what I am hoping that this King Day allows for us to do is to recalibrate uh, because I do believe that uh, we we are we are fighting uh, for for the lives of 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 so many 
who have been oppressed, who have been harmed, who have been hurt, um, those who have not felt remedy to their harm, uh, but also for those who who have given great sacrifice. Uh, I think about those elders in our church community and in our communities writ large uh, who bled, sweat, and died for so much. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet here they are seeing many of the conversations and the talking points and even the political discourse um, be reminiscent of things that they thought were of the past, that we thought were of the past, and yet here we are again. And so um, as as a millennial, <laughs> uh, here we are. Uh, it's, it's our time to fight on this frontier. Um, and, I, and I think uh, the voice of King gives us at least some more clarity of how do we move forward in this yeah. particular Yeah, Reverend Baldrick, I, I deeply agree with that. And one of the things that I've been thinking about as Tiziana said, I, I spend a fair amount of time in a classroom uh, with people of different racial, ethnic backgrounds, different ages. I'm not a millennial, <laughs> but I spend a fair amount of time with them. And one of the things that that keeps coming up for me is is fear and how so much of the divisive rhetoric that we are seeing across the board is really rooted in fear, right? It's rooted in fear of the other. Um, and we know, you know, the Bible talks about that, that fear, that there's no fear in love. And so as we think about Reverend King's legacy of the beloved community, being able to sort of call to a place of love and remembering I don't believe in sort of, oh, we're all the same. We're not all the same. We're all human, but we have very different lives, different, you know, interactions with various systems, and we do need to hold that. But being able to call back to what keeps us together, right? What are the things that we that we all have in, in common and how do we kind of hold those? And I was just actually having a conversation with someone earlier about the fact that um, – this moment, thinking about Israel, Hamas, thinking about, you know, some of the very, um, very present challenges that what it's doing is sending us into our separate corners where we feel safe, right? It's easier for me to show up with people who believe similar things to what I believe, but how do I stretch myself, right? How do I push myself across the boundaries of ease and maybe let myself be a little uncomfortable so that I can sort of hold on to. That's what I'm worried about in 2024. I'm worried that we are going to continue to retreat to our separate corners and that we're not going to be able to bridge those those gaps. And that that is what white supremacy thrives on, right? White supremacy thrives on division. It thrives on on fear. And so we, I think, have an obligation to to really try to be rooted in, and grounded in love as much as possible and continue to reach across those um, those divisions. And I think we also have an obligation to be, um, I, what was, I forget what the phrase was that Dr. King said, but I'm worried about, I'm worried about fatigue. And I think that part of how we have to ground ourselves and support ourselves is also continuing to be in relationship with those who are like-minded while we are sort of strengthened to be able to bridge those gaps. Michael Curry. Yeah, I mean, there's so much there, and I appreciate both of, of, of those uh, comments. I think one of the things I think about is um, one of my favorite lines is that it takes time for truth to catch up to history. Mm. And I think truth is catching up to history and there's a backlash to that truth, mm -hmm. right? That's the conversation Nikki Haley, uh, President Trump, Joe Biden, President Biden about um, what was the Civil War fought about, right. Right? Yeah. what was the purpose of Civil War. That's a conversation about uh, fighting back on teaching black history, American history in our mm -hmm. schools, true American history in our schools. Mm -hmm. um, this is the backlash to uh, eight years of Obama, right. to 
the progress, the conversations that were happening in the wake of George Floyd. We're in that moment now where mm -hmm. DEI is being turned back, where mm -hmm. now all of those positions that were created, those proclamations that were made, that uh, people are rescinding those or withdrawing those in the wake of the affirmative action decision in June of last year. That is what's on my mind is that we are, again, uh, experiencing what we've experienced so much in American history since slavery, which is there's an ebb and flow to history. And every time we make progress, there's a backlash. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a backlash to ending slavery and reconstruction. There's a backlash to the civil rights movement. We are in the midst of that backlash. So I think about this year is uh, we got to draw a line in the sand. And uh, as we say in the protest movement, not one step back Mm. Uh, uh, is what we need to proclaim. I'm also reminded of a Dr. King quote in the work that I do when he, in 1966, outside of the Medical Co Committee for Human Rights Conference in Chicago, he said, of all the forms of inequality, injustice in health is the most mm. shocking and inhuman versus the quote most people think is, of all the forms of inequality, injustice in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. He didn't say that. He actually said health, not mm. healthcare. And he said, inhuman, not inhumane. I say that to say that right now, as we are here having this conversation, black and brown folks are dying at a higher rate, living shorter lives, diabetes. If you're a black woman and you're listening to this call, you have less chance of surviving breast cancer. Mm -hmm. If you're a black woman listening to this call, you have more chances, twice, two or three times more likely to have an adverse outcome in pregnancy, mm -hmm. uh, prostate cancer, uh, colon cancer, diabetes, lupus, name it. We've become weathered in this country to the yes. fact that if you are black or brown or live in a certain dip disco, just two train stops away, that you could live 15 or 20 years less. I think Dr. King, if he was standing here with us today in this very moment, would demand that he'd say, if not now, then when? And if not us, then who? That's the charge for all of us. So I'll pick it up from there. And again, we're speaking with Michael Curry, who you just heard, Rebecca Jackson and Reverend Willie Bodrick II, as we mark this MLK Day with our eyes firmly on 2024. Uh, the reference uh, made a couple uh, minutes ago, Nikki Haley, the presidential candidate, was in New Hampshire, asked about the root cause of the Civil War, did not mention slavery, walked that back a couple days later, but it caused uh, quite a bit of controversy, and it was not the first time that that had happened. Mm -hmm. uh, for context there, um, you just quoted a couple of times uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Michael Curry. I'm going to bring in another uh, a, a piece of sound from him. I'm going to bring his voice back into the conversation, and this is going to harken all the way back, actually, to one of the first points that Reverend Bodrick made. So this is... Um, this is 1957. Uh, it's the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, and it's the source material for his 1963 book, Strength to Love. Somewhere, somebody must have some sense. Men must see that force begets force, hate begets hate, toughness begets toughness, and it is all a descending spiral ultimately ending in destruction for all and everybody. Somebody was have sense enough and morality enough to cut off the chain of hate and the chain of evil in the universe. And you do that by love. Mm -hmm. And so, Reverend Bodrick, I'll turn back to you. And, and I turn back to you mindful. I am not bringing this particular quote forward 
to be anodyne or to sanitize the harder messages from Martin Luther King Jr. or to say, can't we all just get along? (laughs) You know, there's (laughs) many, many tough messages that we need to talk about, too. But before we take a quick pause in our conversation, you brought up love, which can be tough. It can be prophetic. It can be challenging. It can burn. Um, And I want you to just situate that again for us one more time before we take a little pause in our conversation. No, no, thank you, Tiziana. And, and, uh, and I, I believe we can't, and we, we must be intentional not to sanitize King, uh, acknowledging uh, many of the flawed systems and, and I dare I say evils that he was fighting against. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think King would, would guide us towards acknowledging that any conversation around radical love has to be rooted in truth and justice. Uh, that, that that's the reason why we're, we're we're having so much trouble. I believe in our society is because we're not having real conversations around truth and justice. Uh, you can't really talk about true love if we're not talking truth and justice. Uh, that's the reason why we're having tough conversations, whether it comes to reparations or even acknowledging. I mean, you know, the Nikki Haley situation comes up, but but that's the tip of the iceberg, I believe, right? Um, the act of omitting history um, is is her part of on the on the grandest of stands of running for the you know the most powerful position in the nation, omitting. But it's also a a a silent dog whistling to a, yes. to, a to a country who has continually to try to romanticize, rewrite, or change. Uh, what history we're learning. Um, and, and you know, the old adage, you know, if, if you don't know your history, you're doing to repeat it. Mm-hmm. There are people who are actively working to repeat history. Uh, we're, we're fighting for what I, what I tell my congregation all the time. There are different worldviews and we're competing for whose worldview will dictate the country. And these worldviews are competing. And, and every day where truth is the only thing that's, that disrupts the agendas or the propaganda that is being pushed forward and proper promulgated across this country. And so where, where I'm hoping we don't allow ourselves to get to, and where I think King was saying, that we don't get too frustrated that we're all willing to accept the failure of this nation. Yes. I still believe that there is some hope. And I heard my sister talk about fatigue. Or <laughs> Rebecca. Yeah, I'm a preacher, a Baptist preacher. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a like, preacher's kid, sir. <laughs> look, <me too. laughs> it's in my look, blood. I heard you. I heard your fear and fatigue, frustration and failure. Mm-hmm. We're, we're getting to this point where we're so frustrated that we are retreating into silos, that we're all stepping into comfort zones, that we're not having the conversations that will cause any sense of tension, but there is no truth without tension, mm-hmm. yeah. no truth without love. And we can't get to that radical ethic or unconditional love or build these beloved communities if we're not actually being honest about what we are experiencing, what we're dealing with, where there is right and wrong, mm-hmm. where is the moral center of our discourses, yeah. and then how do we actually do that to defeat that which is fighting against progress? You're listening to Radio Boston. I'm Tiziana Deering. We are having a full conversation this hour as we mark 
Martin Luther Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and we are firmly planting our observation in this year of 2024 when the stakes seem so high and the divisions seem so deep. We're continuing our conversation with Reverend Willie Bodrick II, who's the senior pastor at 12th Baptist Church, Michael Curry, the president and CEO of the Massachusetts League of Community Health Centers, and Rebecca Jackson, founder and CEO of Love Seed Coaching and Consulting and part-time faculty at the Boston College School of Social Work. Uh, when we took a pause in our conversation, Reverend Bodrick was talking about the importance of truth uh, the risk of frustration in the face of, as he said it, uh, people actively working to repeat history. Um, I'm just going to get out of the way. Rebecca Jackson, pick it back up. Yes, thank you, Tiziana. So I, I named my business Love Seed very intentionally. And one of the things that I, I work with leaders, I work with nonprofit leaders, and I really believe that there's an absence of love in leadership. And that leadership that is really rooted and grounded in love and humanity is expansive and it's abundant. And I think one of the things that gets in the way, we've been talking about sort of evil systems, is capitalism. And that, that part of how capitalism works is that it teaches us that there's not enough to go around. And so everybody has to to kind of, you know, sort of pull in and hold on to what they have. And that's also what fear does, right? Fear makes us retract. Fear makes us clamp down. Fear fear sort of prevents us from being able to to open and to see other people's humanity to see other people's potential and it's it's can be so easy to think that love is soft and as you were saying Reverend Broderick love speaks the truth there is no truth without love and that is if i'm really trying to be loving loving to myself and loving to other people and i believe that i want what's best for them then i'm going to be able to speak the truth in love and i'm going to be able to receive the truth as well so that kind of absence of a real love that's not um, sort of soft and just about being nice to people, but the but the love that Dr. King talked about that's rooted in beloved community and that's about seeing each other's humanity and believing that there's divinity in all of us, that's the love that's going to be able to prevent us from being tired, right, and frustrated. And that's also the love that's going to be able to to break chains. So I'm going to jump in here because, Rebecca, you've raised a question. I'm going to turn that question to Michael Curry. So, Michael, I'm, I'm listening to Rebecca, and I'm thinking about love, and I'm thinking about leadership. A and here's what's banging around in my head. I have been so struck by the extent to which people seem to think that it feels better to be angry mm. than it feels to feel love mm -hmm. and that we seem to have lost the 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 facility for calling people to the better angels of their nature and, and again I don't mean that in a sort of a sweet <laughs> way <laughs> right um uh, uh, let me uh, let me just lay that out on the table and I I won't feel bad if you walk right over it and say something else but it's <laughs> on my mind and now I'll turn to you Michael Curry well, well I'm going to struggle a little bit with that Tiziana and Rebecca and Reverend Bodrick please chime in you know it's interesting because I don't think uh love and anger are polar opposites mm -hmm. I think uh, Dr King had love but he was angry yeah and that's fair um he was frustrated at the resistance of this country to do the right thing um he was frustrated at laws that took too long to pass so um I always compare our country to the dysfunctional family and I say we're this dysfunctional family that uh, we only get together every once in a while. Tiziana, it's Thanksgiving, it's Christmas. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, for many of our families, it's a fight. It's a confrontation. It's tension. Cousin ain't speaking to the other cousin or the auntie. 
Um, and then there's disruption, right? And I think that's the family we are because we haven't dealt with the underlying issues, the, the violence, the abuse, uh, the assault, uh, the disrespect, the mistreatment. Uh, we as a country have not dealt with these topics. And therefore, every time we come together as a family, it's Ferguson, it's Baltimore, mm -hmm. it's Roxbury, 1968, right? There's violence, there's tension, there's, there's conflict. And the truth matters, right? So I think, you know, love is the center. Um, but I think there are times that we overplay the love as if there's no reason to be mad mm -hmm. or to be angry. I, I have to at lift this up because I do this speech all the time. And I tell people about history. And I say this, Reverend Bodrick, I said, Name me five heroes and sheroes from slavery. And if you can tell me in 200, almost 250 years from 1619 to 1863 or arguably 1865, and if you really want to be accurate, you'd go into reconstruction with debt peonage and the fact that people were held mm -hmm. in, into work bondage beyond slavery. I would ask the question, why can't you name people who liberate, who sought to liberate themselves? Because then we have a conversation about how whitewash history has been that you can't name five heroes, but you can say live free or die, mm -hmm. give me liberty or give me death. Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God or you want me to lift a flag on, for 1776 and Independence Day when we didn't get liberation until 1865. So there's contradictions in our American history. And I think part of that is I need to hear that frustration. I need to hear it from uh, folks, African-Americans who, who gain that consciousness. I need to hear it from white citizens who gained that, the fact that they were duped, that they didn't get the real history, they didn't get the real truth. And then last but not least, once you get that history in that context, it explains why we're desperately unemployed, why we're unhoused, unbanked, why we're dying of almost every disease at a high rate, why we don't trust your damn vaccine, why we don't want to be in a clinical trial, and why we protest and march in the streets yelling, hands up, don't shoot. Um, um, uh, those are the things that we have not come to. Dr. King, if he were here, his speech would be as fiery today mm -hmm. as it was when he gave that speech, I Have a Dream. Uh, I'm going to turn to you, Reverend Bodrick. Um, uh, just uh, the Roxbury 1968 reference, uh, rioting in Roxbury following the death of uh, Dr. King in 1968. Uh, and I'm going bring, to bring one more voice in here with just a little bit of sound. Bear with me, Reverend Bodrick. Last year, uh, for this show, we spoke with Imari Paris Jeffries, who's the executive director of Embrace Boston. Um, and he was talking about when Dr. King came back to Boston um, during the civil rights movement and why. So here that is. Education, poverty, uh, racial equity, and housing. And I think if you ask anyone, you know, folks who are in the business of change making, of helping uh, regular citizens, bus drivers, anyone, uh, what would be some pressing issues? What worries you about our city? Uh, I'm willing to bet that one of those four issues, if not all four, would come up. And that, you know, that that struck me as Michael was talking. Back over to you, Reverend Patrick. No, I, th I think Michael is, is, is spot on and, uh, and my sister Rebecca as well. I, I, I want to touch on the first point about uh, love and anger, uh, because I, I do think we usually um, uh, contort 
love to be something that it's not. I, I think, and too many times we get caught up into sentimentality uh, when when that's not the underpinnings of the type of love. I, I believe mm-hmm. love does drive you towards righteous anger mm-hmm. because uh, if there's no justice, then there is no true love. Yeah, and I do want to be clear. I was actually referring to white anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah, no, 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 no. I'm talking about all anger, right? So okay. like, there's no justice. <laughs> there's no true love, right? Um, and, and and I think at times we have to distinguish between um, the, the type of anger that's trying to defend something and the type of anger that's trying to liberate something. Mm. Uh, so I think those are two distinctions that I would make. Um, to, to, to Brother uh, Dr. Marpez Jeffrey's point um, last year about you know these issues, we know that these are pressing issues because we've never told the truth about what really happened. All right. So if we if we actually talk about these, quote unquote, uh, opportunity and achievement gaps, they're not new gaps. We, right. we talk about these are new things like these are persistent generational gaps. Right. Uh, w.B. Du Bois was talking about this uh, when he was writing his seminal work. Right. The souls of black folks. Right. Uh, what do we do with the Negro problem? It was really around like these gaps that we know are very present that we're here in the American society due to the the ways in which black folks have been subjugated in this country uh, as a result of the oppression that they experienced due to slavery, Jim Crow, all the way into our present day. And and when we talk about what they were marching about in, in 1963, it was the march for jobs mm-hmm. and freedom, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we're, we're talking about a continuum of, of issues that have continued to be pressing that have happened generation over generation. So we're talking about the layering of trauma, the exacerbation yes. of gaps. These aren't new issues. And I think you get to folks saying, I'm just tired of being tired. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think when I talk about frustration, I don't want to frame the frustration I speak about as one that does not have a righteous anger to right the wrongs of history. But my frustration is one that says, I'm tired and I have an apathy. That's the worry I have. Mm-hmm. It's the frustration that leads to apathy that I, you know what? I wash my hands with this because you know what? They're not going to do anything, anything uh, anyway. Nothing's going to change anyway. And I think that emotion, which is easy to get to. And if you be honest, a lot of folks have gotten there. Um, that's what I hope we have to fight against because I, I got a four-year-old, right? And I, mm-hmm. I don't want him to grow up in a world where he couldn't say that, you know what, there were folks who were fighting. There's a legacy of folks who will continue to fight. This this runs generation after generation in our heritage of people who have fought against systems that oppress, who fought with righteous anger um, through a radical ethic of love that, mm-hmm. that, that things can change, things can be better. Um, and I think it has to be undergirded with truth about what we're experiencing in 2024. Right. And uh, Part part about that is that what we're experiencing many a times are so much similar to what we've experienced in 94, 84, 74, and we can we can trace that the thread line from from what's been happening, and we know this to be true. And the hard part is when we say we we when we don't acknowledge that right. as a reality that we we have a hard time moving forward to actually creating some true meaningful progress. And Reverend Broderick and Tiziana, and Rebecca, I have to say this because you reminded me, Reverend Broderick, that the anger, the white anger is not new either, right? Because mm-hmm. we've seen that over time. That is 1868, the political cartoon by Thomas Nass, published in Harper's Ferry, uh, depicted a, a black Civil War veteran on his back with a white man standing on him, the five-point Irishman 
Uh, Ku Klux Klan founder Nathan Bedford Forrest, Wall Street financer, Democrat August Belmont. This was people tapping into that racial hatred. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the f- professors called it white racial pornography. They're taking your jobs, their education. Mm-hmm. They don't deserve it. They don't belong here. They shouldn't be in uh, the the uh, people who took seats in Congress uh, during Reconstruction. They're going to come in with their feet on the table and eating chicken. We're in a place that that Trump movement has created which is this backlash to progress to say, hey, be worried about them getting your job. Be worried about those people coming across the border. History repeats itself. And unfortunately, because we don't know that history that Reverend Broderick has talked about, we get into this place where we do the same thing, that what we saw in Nazi Germany, uh, Auschwitz, uh, the Holocaust, what we saw during slavery, we saw with internment camps, what we saw with Native Americans, we are doomed to repeat this until we get honest with ourselves about this history. Dr. King would be urging us to do that. You're listening to Radio Boston. I'm Tiziana Deering. We are marking Martin Luther King Jr. Day by looking at 2024, what the stakes are, how it reflects a new year, and yet years, decades, centuries behind us as Michael Curry, president and CEO of the Massachusetts League of Community Health Centers, has told us. Also with us, Reverend Willie Bodrick II, who's senior pastor at 12th Baptist Church, and Rebecca Jackson, founder and CEO of Love Seed Coaching and Consulting, part-time faculty at the BC School of Social Work. So I want to pick up now, Rebecca Jackson. We're in January 2024, in a year that seems universally everyone understands to be critical. At the very beginning of this conversation, Reverend Bodrick called out that democracy seems to be at stake. Um, and just a couple of minutes ago, Michael Curry hearkened us back to the de- the destruction of Reconstruction, to Nazi Germany, um, and all the way forward to the moment that we're in. Um, I- I'm going to turn it back over to you to pick the conversation up and take it forward. Great. Thank you, Tiziana. So I, I was thinking as I was uh, listening to Michael and Reverend Bodrick about a tool that I use in the classroom and with leaders. That's the iceberg model, right? It's a way, and Reverend Bodrick, you used the phrase tip of the iceberg earlier as well. Um, And so I often say this country is deliberately ahistorical. We are intentionally always kind of manifest destiny, sort of moving forward, looking to the next thing. And I believe that's partly because we don't have sort of the skills and resources that we need to be able to take account accountability. But under the iceberg, one of the things is mental models. And, and we've been talking about, you know, why is this country allowed black people to be at such disadvantage in terms of breast cancer, in terms of prostate cancer? I, I have an aunt who I lost to breast cancer because she didn't want to go to the doctor. A grandfather I lost to prostate cancer because he didn't want to go to the doctor. A, a sister who has, you know, had some challenges with her pregnancy As a black woman, these are things that feel very real to me, but we never really get deeply enough under the iceberg and really think about what are the mindsets and the heart sets that allow us to continue to oppress certain groups of people because it's messy under there. Right. It is. And I, I tell my students, the mess is where the money is. That's that's the real sort of jackpot. But any of us who've ever cleaned out a closet know that there's a moment that we want to put it all right back in there because it's it's intimidating. It's scary. And so as a country, I think we are being called to this moment of we need to clean out the closet. We need we do need to be looking back and saying, what are the kind of persistent and consistent beliefs about black people's humanity that allowed us to be in enslaved that are showing up in different ways now. And I do believe that part of the the challenge of this moment, and, and you know, I'm 45 years old, I'm not anti-technology, but social media makes the stakes different. 
and and it, it and there's a power to it too, right? So we saw in the in black um, after George Floyd was killed that this was an in there were international an international cry, right? Because of social media, things can't sort of stay in closets and in and behind curtains in the same way. And of course, we know because we've seen the way that Donald Trump is sort of. Um, it weaponized social media as well that it it can go either way and yep, so because yep. we live in this moment where you can access disinformation just with a click of a button it's always there i think it makes the stakes even higher and it therefore makes the charge for us and the call for us to really be rooted and grounded in that 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 strong love that tough love that speaks the truth that it, that allows us to be righteously angry because we have something to be we have a right to be mad we have things to be angry about and i also as a black woman can be angry about a Oppression that's happening to other groups of people. There should be a, you know, sort of a, a vision of love allows that, right? Because it's expansive in this point about white fear. And I think Reverend Bodrick, you might have said this earlier, it might have been you, Michael, is about holding on to something, right? It's about keeping what I think is mine. You know, they're taking our jobs, they're taking something that belongs to me. And sort of a, a, a mission that's rooted in love says, there's enough room for everyone to be able to flourish. Everyone should be able to be healthy. I'm not angry because I think I'm losing something. I'm angry because my brother and my sister over there isn't getting something that they deserve. And that, I think, is the difference is that love opens and love expands and love calls, you know, sort of calls in. And fear says, I got to hold on to what's mine, even if it means that I'm taking something from someone else. Willie, that's the preacher's daughter coming out. Right <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please just keep going, Reverend Bodrick, Michael, whoever's next, jump in. I think I think my sister Rebecca's right on the money. Um, you know, it is about what people are trying to protect, right? And sometimes uh, when we go into these notions of protection, um, we sometimes skew truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think um, the dangers of many of our tools, whether it's social media, whether it's AI, uh, whether it's just old school political propaganda and talking points, um, it has created a dynamic where um, it is very hard to see uh, to to get out of your 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 your, your silos uh, or out of your the bubbles that have been created for you um, that are being reified every day um, as you go on whatever platforms you go on. Um, I, I I truly do believe what's at stake is democracy. Um, I, I believe that. We're, we're closer to, to, to the unraveling than we realize at times. And I think because things seem normal, right? Your TV shows still come on. You still got the Super Bowl coming up. Playoffs about to start. It feels normal, but it's not, mm-hmm. right? And I think um, the, the, the worry I have is that we don't recognize the fracturing that we're seeing, even in our public discourses, even in our in our in, in across across all spectrums, we're seeing norms being ruptured in ways that we've never seen before. That, that I remember when uh, years back when uh, when when former President Trump ran for office, I was out in Western Massachusetts having conversations around civility with elementary school kids. Yes, mm-hmm. we're, we're, there's 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 no more civil discourse. Like it's yeah. kind of gone, mm-hmm. and you know I, I I wonder like how do we revive or even is there a possibility to bring and restore uh, some sense of respect for the other, respect for your human dignity? Um, I think we didn't realize, and what what I I, I think is a hard reality is that 
the rights that we fought for can easily be revoked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. With a couple policies and the strike of a pen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Reverend, um, go ahead. You, you made me think. Uh, so, Tiziana, I'm getting a lot of calls, and I show Reverend Bodrick and Rebecca may be getting these calls too, where I'm being asked to come in and help facilitate conversations about civil discourse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thayer Academy, phenomenal school, had me do one with uh, Andy Card, former chief of staff in the mm-hmm. White House uh, mm-hmm. under the Republican administration. Uh, and we talked about what it's like to disagree with people, but to to be disagree to disagree without being disagreeable, right? Mm-hmm. To challenge people on their ideology or how they look at a policy, and that we've lost that, and it, it's playing out in our classrooms, in our boardrooms, in our policy spaces, paralyzing our governments. You know, I, I think about this moment we're in, and and what concerns me most is that D. W. Griffith, the founder of Birth of a Nation, the filmmaker. The racist propaganda film in an interview I saw one time, he said, the truth, what is the truth? Mm. That's make America great again. That's the Donald Trump era that he's ushered in is that there is no more truth. Right. I I can give you alternative facts. I can distort the the information. And I'm going to tell you what they do, Willie, that's masterful, which is I'm going to make you black folks not even show up because I'm going to tell you how bad Hillary is and Biden is. And then we lose the consciousness that every time you don't come to vote, you don't show up, you're losing in a chess game. Because the reality, that's a Supreme Court seat. Yep. That's overturning Roe v. Wade. That's overturning affirmative action. That's cutting back and, 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 and disrupting settled law. And in your personal disagreement with a party, you've now decided to check out. That is their master plan. Mm-hmm. So that's a partisan state, statement I'm making. I'm not telling you who to vote for, but black, brown folks, young people, do not let them play you. Show up no matter what, even if the options are a calculation, you got to show up. Mm-hmm. We're with Michael Curry, president and CEO of the Massachusetts League of Community Health Centers, Reverend Willie Bodrick II, senior pastor at 12th Baptist Church, and Rebecca Jackson, founder and CEO of Love Seed Coaching and Consulting, as we observe this Martin Luther King Jr. Day in on in 2024 and of course michael making reference to showing up for elections right uh, th- this is the, a year the year uh, especially with democracy on our minds and i want to pick up right there because michael what you're talking about is a call to action against the apathy that reverend bodrick you said you're most mm-hmm. worried about so let's pull to that let's pull to fighting that apathy things people can do to keep from giving up, uh, you know, I, it, and not in that self-help way, like what's five calories less I can eat tomorrow, but <laughs> really in, in a sort of a deep and profound way. And I think what I, I think what I want to do is I want to ask each of you, where is a place that you draw inspiration to keep from giving up? And if it's from something from Dr. King, that'd be great. And if it's not, it's from somewhere or something else that moves you forward also great. Uh, and Rebecca, if you can think of one off the top of your head, I'll go to you first. If not, I can go to Reverend Bodrick or Michael Curry first. Oh, no, I got one. All right. But I also want to say one other thing. Do it. Um, so that I, I don't want to uh, forget about strategy. When I think about Roe v. Wade, and this is not anything that I'm an expert on, but I've read multiple articles talking about how that the overturning of Roe v. Wade was the result of a 30 to 40 year strategy. So, you know, we it's it can be, I think, easy to get caught up in the emotion of things. And I and I think that that's really important. 
And I think we have to remember that people are being strategic about dismantling our rights, about all of these things, that it's not by accident. And that's one of the important things about being able to look under the surface, right? Because you can see patterns and you can see the way that things are, the root of it is the same, but it, it shows up differently and it looks differently and, you know, in different periods of time. But there's a strategy that's at play. And so we also need to be just as strategic about how we are pushing back and, and holding on. So one of the things that um, that I've been thinking about a lot, uh, it, not, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Adrienne Marie Brown wrote a book called Emergent Strategy. And, and she talks, uses the phrase small is all. And so when I find myself getting sort of tired or frustrated, I try to remind myself that all that I have control over is what is what I can do and that that's actually a lot. That I can be kind of like what um, what you were saying, Michael. I can be going to places and modeling how to have difficult conversations. I can be equipping people with skills to be able to do that. And I can expect that that has a ripple effect. So how am I sort of best, uh, what am I, where am I best positioned to, to, to make change and to be effective? And how do I do the best that I can do in that particular space? And it doesn't always feel like enough. And, and in those moments, then I can sort of expand and say, okay, well, where else am I doing everything that I can be doing? But thinking about nature, thinking about um, the strategy of sort of doing the best that I can in my particular sort of sphere of influence and control. And by also remembering and trying to be connected with other people who are like-minded and reminding myself that there are groups of people that are out there that are that are working, that are strategizing, that are protesting. There are groups of people out there that are um, we, you know, this the this this um, sort of deluge of information that we're in is skewed, right? And so it's hmm. really easy to get caught up in what's going wrong of the violence. And when we dig underneath that, we realize that actually violence is going down in this country. I wouldn't know that if I looked at the news because that's not the story that they're telling. So I need to be sort of looking for the heroes, looking for the sheroes, looking for the groups of people. And it's not just going to fall into my lap, right? That's something that I have to be diligent about. And and it's and it is encouraging to me to remember that there are I'm not alone. And my little tiny circle is not alone that there that there's that there's more I really believe I'm not a Pollyanna, but I really believe that there's more good than bad that's out there and that there is still a better angel in all of us that we can call to. Um, and so that that that's sort of being rooted and grounded in what can I do? And, and how can I do that to the best of my ability is one of the places that I'm finding some strength. Adrian uh, Marie Brown actually co-founded and directed the United States League of Young Voters, mm -hmm. uh, just so people know who that is. Back over to you, uh, Michael Curry and Reverend Willie Bodrick, whoever's next. Yeah, I just say I draw my strength because I'm such a, an avid reader, uh, a student of history, and I, I draw my strength from thinking about Ida B. Wells mm -hmm. and 18, 1800s who refused to give up her seat way before Rosa Parks and would give birth to a movement that we now know as the NAACP with many others. I give my strength in a, a Mary White Ovington, a white woman, and a William English Walling, and so many others that came together in New York in 1908 to launch the NAACP uh, and had a compass. I'm not talking about your gut. I'm talking about your compass. That comes from reading, uh, Willie, the souls of black folks. That comes from understanding caste and uh, uh, the color of law and, and having been well-read and mm -hmm. well-counseled so that when the time comes for you to show up and who you hire, uh, how you pass policy, uh, where you put your resources, you show up because you have a consciousness about these issues. And I think uh, what I draw strength in is that 
there's a higher level of consciousness. Now, I, I say all the time, I'm glad so many people are woke and others are waking up, but some <laughs> of us are insomniacs. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'm on the call today with some insomniacs, and I think there are more of us now who don't go to sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, I, draw, I draw my strength in that. Reverend. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I draw my strength uh, from, from the Gospels, uh, and, and I know that a part of the first act of any type of giving to others is, is what did I do when you were hungry? What I do when you're thirsty, I root my politic there, right? Mm -hmm. um, when you're sick, when you were in prison, um, you know, was I there for you? And I think that sort of frames the way in which I look at the other or those who I'm in community with. Um, I, I also hear King, you know, screaming out to us clearly that uh, we're, we, we must learn to live together as brothers and sisters, or we will perish together as fools. And uh, and I think 2024 that that's that's continued to ring out in my ears that either we learn to live together, to love together, to create community together, to fight against the fracturing and the ahistoricity and and fight against all the things that that we've listed and talked about today, the disruption of norms and uh, the constant conflict, or we will perish. And. I believe in our context, that's a hard thing to say, um, but it needs to be vocalized that it could happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's something that we don't, we haven't experienced in, in any way in my lifetime. Um, I'm only 35, but uh, I'll be 36 in a couple of weeks. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but, but I, I, I am sage enough to realize that, that, that the ways in which we are moving, we're not heading towards a pathway of restoration, towards healing, towards redemption, towards remedy. We're heading towards a pathway towards our own demise if we don't course correct. And so I'm I'm hoping that our discourses and yes, there's strategies, um, but but we're not fighting the same fight. Uh, and I think that's why um it has to be very intentional that we, we, what I tell people in this moment in 2024, it's not just about people that you're trying to vote for. It's about the issues yes. that you're living each and every day. And yeah. so if you, if you can scratch the names off of it, whatever, what, who's representing your issues, who's representing the issues, your community, your family, your church, your mosque, your synagogue, what, what, like who, who's speaking for those issues, right? Um, who's speaking for your, your community, who's fighting on behalf of the issues of the children in your neighborhood or the elders in your neighborhood. For me, centering the issues uh, will help us uh, in this particular year and hopefully centering love and justice will hopefully bring us towards restoration. And on that note, as we close our marking of this Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I want to thank our guests for an incredible conversation, Reverend Willie Bodrick II, Senior Pastor at 12th Baptist Church, Rebecca Jackson, Founder and CEO of Love Seed Coaching and Consulting and part-time faculty member at the Boston College School of Social Work, and Michael Curry, President and CEO of the Massachusetts League of Community Health Centers and a member of the National Board of Directors at the NAACP. It's been fantastic, and I want to thank all three of you for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.